everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, a testimony of your story for His glory. How do you know you are ready to quote, meet thy God? What do you say to a millennial who is an avowed atheist but doesn't know why? He or she just are. What is the number one reason God's people get stuck in cycles of defeat? And if you had the tools to answer all of the above, would you? Make the effort, that is. Or choose a life of complacency ditching the Great Commission for your greater comfort. These are just some of the questions that come to mind in reading my next guest just released, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenge to the Church Today. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome to testimony a wonderful joy indeed. International itinerant speaker, teacher, apologist, author, radio and television broadcast host of Faith to Live By, and so much more, Pamela Christian. Pamela, welcome to Testimony. Oh, thank you so much, Jensine. It's my privilege, very much so. Well, it's great to have you. We were recently introduced by our mutual friend, actress, and author, Nancy Stafford of Matlock fame, and her recently released First Lady movie. So a quick shout-out to Nancy for connecting us, and so glad she did so. Let's get right to it. Before we begin, Pamela, I would love our listeners to hear just a little of your own backstory, how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, and why, quote, faith is a passion of yours, and consequently, the series of books you've written about. Pamela Christian, please tell us that story. Yes, thank you. You know, sadly, I think my story is a lot like many other people. I was not raised in a Christian home. And the consensus of the day was to let children find their own way when it comes to religion and politics. And with that being the uh, premise for my parents and raising my sister and myself, we did what most people do in that situation, and we did find our own way deeply into the world. Um, I was allowed to attend church with a neighbor or an aunt occasionally, um, and so I did go to Sunday school. I was exposed to Jesus in that regard. I knew about him. And I, the teacher made it very clear that Jesus could be my forever friend and save me from hell, which she made very clear was a terrible place. And as a little girl, I think I was about five years old, I really didn't understand the concept or the reality of sin, but I knew what a terrible place was because that described my home life. My father was abusive, alcoholic, and unfaithful. And I honestly think that there were occasions my mom had us go to church with the neighbor or an aunt because she wanted us out of the house while our dad was sleeping off the night before. Long story short, I lived almost uh, a full 29 years, almost 30 years of my life in the world, very much in the world. And when the man that I really thought I would marry broke off our relationship instead of asking me to marry him, it totally broke me. And the story is one that I tell, especially when I go speak in person. It's very compelling, and a lot of, lot of women relate to my story. This particular day when the relationship was broke off, I went home to my condominium. It was dark by the time I got home. Um, 
and I laid on the couch. I don't know how long, but I experienced um, pain from the depths of me, a, a deep place within me that I didn't even know existed. There were times I felt completely chaotic uh, and, and that I couldn't escape the pain, and other times I felt completely numb. It was the, a very unusual, I've never experienced anything like that at that point in my life and nothing like that since. But in that time, I was reflecting on my life, and I, my thoughts continued to drift back and drift back and drift back to the point in time when I was a little girl attending Sunday school. And I called out to the Lord for the very first time in my life with complete abandon and basically said, if you can take my life and make something good out of it, if you can be everything the Sunday school teacher told me that you are, then I need you to make something good out of my life now more than ever because on my own, I've only proven that I can't. And at that moment, I sensed the Lord swoop within my being. Um, I can't explain it in words. Mm -hmm. I also heard the Lord speak to me, um, not audibly, but to my spirit. And I have written it out so that people can see the whole text. But for the sake of our, our conversation, basically the Lord was letting me know that he has always been in my life. He will always be in my life and that I had been looking for the love I needed in many other places, career, um, social life, with relationships, and that he was the love I was looking for. And with that being spoken to my spirit, I knew that, that those words were true. His love was exactly the love that I was looking for. And I was transformed from that moment on. Uh, I never turned back. I have no, had no desire to turn back. It's been full steam ahead. <laughs> Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Pamela Christian, author of her latest great read, Prepare for the Harvest. So, Pam, question. If there is one reason the church is in the place, by and large, that it is today, what, in your view, is that reason and why? Well, let me preface by saying I am in my book many times explaining I'm painting with a broad brush because not all churches, the individual churches, will fall into the description that, that I've come to research and, and discover. I believe, Jensen, the church at large, especially in America, um, is in the condition that it's in because of apathy and because of having basically blinders on and looking within the four walls of the church itself instead of having a kingdom view. Amen and amen. Now, in your book, Prepare for the Harvest, you talk about some of your own challenges that truly put your own faith to test. Talk about that. Uh, pretty much gets back to uh, the time I was sharing with you when I had a crisis, my life crisis, when the man I thought I would marry. By the way, I did end up marrying him. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> but during that time, when I was reflecting on my life, uh, because I, was, I am commendably bright, and I'm educated. So to think that my entire life had been based on some ideals that did not sustain me, in other words, my faith did not sustain me when I needed it the most, that caused me to have to go back and really examine what I believe and why I believe it. You know, one of the questions I ask whenever I go travel and speak, which is what I love to do, is this. Who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie? No one ever raises their hand to that question, which is highly revealing. It means that universally all people want truth. They prefer truth over deception or lies. Well, if that's the case, then that means universally we all have a moral compass. We are all able 
to discern that truth is better than a lie. And if those two factors are accurate, and they are, then we've got every reason to be diligent in our truth discovery. Because you don't just learn truth once and you're done. Truth is a process of discovery. And we add to our truth as we grow and we learn more. So my crisis of faith when David dumped me, which turns out to be the best thing he could have done because it drove me to Jesus, um, my crisis of faith caused me to examine everything I had ever believed, what I had based my life on, what I believed was true. At that point, I thought truth was relative. Uh, I've since learned that's not the case. I've learned a whole lot by being deliberate about examining what I believe and why I believe it, which actually was the premise for the very first book in the Faith to Live By series, which is Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. Amen and amen. Now, we live in the era of social media where literally everyone's face is right in yours. <laughs> Nothing is off limits, discretion, wisdom, and just plain common sense tossed to the wind. And yet, there is a remnant that holds fast to their faith and God's word. Pamela Christian, are these whom God will be using in these last days to usher in lost souls? And if yes, how? Absolutely, and I think we've been seeing this. Um, I'll, I'll go back to 2016 with the presidential elections. There was a lot of fear and a lot of concern, even among those of us who would consider ourselves as part of God's remnant. We were not sure where it would go. And in that particular night, I couldn't stay up. I just physically couldn't stay awake any longer to find out how the election went. The next morning, however, when I woke up and I saw that Donald Trump was the president, I fell to my knees. I knew that God was giving this nation another chance. I won't know how many chances he's given us, but he's been, he, since that election, he has given this nation and his people in this nation another chance to get things right. We have been living in earnest times since just before the presidential election and most definitely ever since. Amen and amen. Now, I want to go back to your book for a moment. I'm reminded of John the Baptist you allude to and his famous words, quote, prepare ye the way of the Lord upon seeing Jesus, his brother, and then in obedience, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how God's Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, and it's that power that would propel Christ into the desert, the, quote, wilderness, for 40 days to be tempted by Satan, and Jesus overcame him with the word, and victoriously so. So question, what about the, quote, wilderness is so critical to church growth, and especially now at the re According to this interview, a pandemic ensues and churches by and large shut down or at least limited in gathering. Right, not to mention all the violence in the streets and the rioting and the looting and the anarchy that has taken place as of recent days. This is evidence to me, seeing that the enemy of God is doing basically a shotgun approach, trying to pull out all stops on all fronts, wreak as much havoc as possible, because he also is aware. You know, the, the devil knows who Jesus is. He just chooses not to worship him. So the devil is aware of many of God's plans, including the return of Christ, and including what's been prophesied many, many times about the late harvest, the great harvest 
towards the end times, which I firmly believe is the season that we are in. Um, you know, I never really was that interested in the study of the end times, which is known as eschatology. Um, I just figured there were too many scholars who are much better educated than I am, and they all had different points of view. There's basically three points of view. And so I never really gave it much thought. But the Lord really began working on me with the book that actually is the, the previous book. It's called Prepare for the Harvest, Confidence in God's End Time Promises. He, he inspired me with that book almost a year to the day that this book was uh, completed. And this book that we're talking about now is really a challenge to the church. Because if a billion souls, which has been prophesied, uh, of people from all walks of life, uh, and I mean all walks of life, are going to be saved in a sudden and abrupt manner, if just 15, 20 people from these walks of life who are searching for truth, who have had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, showed up on the church, the local church doorstep, is the culture of that local church prepared to properly greet and disciple these 20 people that show up. You know, some of them are going to be homeless. Some of them are going to be drug addicts. Some of them are probably show up still high. Some of them may smell because they've been living on the streets. Is the church leadership properly prepared to open their doors and their arms to welcome these people and introduce them to the fullness of Jesus Christ? Which leads me to my next question. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to author Pamela Christian, her latest must-read, Prepare for the Harvest. Pamela, in your book you talk about, quote, sensitivity training for church leaders when recounting the story of a couple who ministered in France for over 20 years. Talk about that. Yes, um, I wish I could remember their name right now, <laughs> but this beautiful couple um, did minister in France. I had the privilege of inter interviewing them on my te television, internet television show, and they ended up sharing the love of Jesus to a community of eunuchs. And these eunuchs were very, very sincere about wanting to have a proper relationship with Jesus. They were sincere with their questions about what do they do with their life now, because they've made some permanent changes that they can't reverse. Um, and, and yet Janie, and I know her name was Janie, I can't remember her husband's name, but they, they minister to this community of eunuchs in France in such a beautiful way that when they left France, this community of eunuchs uh, took the baton, so to speak, and continued sharing the gospel with others in need of the gospel. That's really what Jesus wanted us to do as our example. He, he's our example for us to duplicate, and we need to see much more of that, don't we? We certainly do. You know, that reminds me, Pamela, of the scripture, know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. So when you're born again, spirit-filled, I think God puts something in us, or at least he should, that when we're out and about in our daily lives, as ministers of the gospel, and we're all called to this, the day we become a Christian, a follower of Christ, that when we look at someone, we're not looking at them in the flesh. Of course, we see that. But we're looking at the soul and the spirit, and God downloads his wisdom, his insight, his word of knowledge into that person. Talk about that in your own life and your experience with doing just that. Well, it gets back to really what Jesus expressed, and that's that we were to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, when we 
think about how we are affectionate toward ourselves, we are very forgiving of ourselves. We understand when we've made a mistake. Uh, we understand when we change our mind. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he wants us to look at our neighbor with the eyes that understand they have the same propensity for failure and success or sin and holiness that we have. And if we look at our neighbors with the same standards, the same degree of compassion that we provide ourselves, we will naturally do what you were talking about, and that's to reach out and share the truth. You know, we've got generations of people, and I've said this before, we've got generations of people who are going to hell in a handbasket that's been woven by the church. We have wow. not done our job. We have been confined within our four walls. The Great Commission didn't say go to your church. It said go into all the nations. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to be doing. Yes, we've done, America has done an outstanding job when it comes to sending people on missions trips to foreign countries. But right now, America needs missionaries. America needs people who are sold out, committed, faithful believers who can stand up for the truth, especially in this backdrop of all the increase of evil. You know, I've, I've talked to people, and I, I leave shaking my head because they live in a lie, and it's, but it's a lie that they can believe because there's enough truth in it that it makes it plausible. And the lie is this, that in, well, the truth aspect of the lie is that in the last day, days, all manner of evil will increase. That part is true. And so people I talk to, not all of them, but many, just expect things should go as they are, and they are doing nothing to resist it or to restrain the evil. They are resigned to what Scripture says about the increase of wickedness in the last days. What they are not coupling that truth with is the truth that God tells us to occupy until he returns. Amen. And we must, as God's people, be the instruments through whom the Holy Spirit works to restrain this evil and to push it back to pave the way for Christ's return. You know, evil, yes, is going to increase. But evil will never outpace righteousness. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, Pamela Christian, I am loving this conversation, my sister. Okay, next question, or actually statement with a question. I believe when we are born, we are all given a, quote, calling, whether in the marketplace, the church, the mission field, whatever state or station in life. And it's that, quote, calling the enemy hates and wants to stop at all costs and this is the quote spiritual battle we are all in as Christians until Jesus returns so question if you have to pick just one resource for overcoming in this battle of life to be all we can be in Christ what is that and why one resource to help us in our faith is this your question one resource for overcoming in this battle of life to be all we can be in Christ. You're making it tough on me to choose one thing because there's so many things we need. Even the, the spiritual armor of God that we read about in Ephesians has several things that are listed. Um, so I guess with that, it would have to be that we are spirit-filled born again because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is the imparter of all truth. He's the one who provides comfort. He's the, he's the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So unless we are truly spirit-filled, born-again Christians who make our faith visible and don't just live within the confines of our nice little comfy church and a nice little comfy home, if we are 
engaged in society, which I believe every Christian is supposed to be, and it's been talked about, I think Lance Wellnow is the one who uh, coined the phrase about the seven mountains of society. I firmly believe that Christians are to take the Christian uh, truth and standards into every community in our culture. You know, one of the first articles I wrote that was published is actually hanging on my wall. I'm looking at it right now. And it's entitled, nope, it's titled, People are entitled, but this article is titled, <laughs> Since God Ordained Civil Government, Why Aren't Christians Involved? Amen. Talk about that briefly. Well, basically, we have career politicians, and that's not the way our founding fathers intended our nation. What, he, what the founding fathers intended is that we would have statesmen and stateswomen and these are people who are selfless, who are not trying to promote their own agenda, but are truly working for the benefit of the people according to the Constitution. It's, uh, I have prayed many, many times for the Lord to reveal to those people who are in positions of influence and leadership that they are promoting their own agenda, which is opposed to God's agenda, and if they are able to repent, for God to bring them to a point of repentance, and if they are not, for God to please remove them from office. Amen and amen. Great prayer, and you nailed it. You know, in your book, Prepare for the Harvest, rich in stats, stories, and scriptures that inform, challenge, and motivate the reader to take inventory of their own life and walk with Christ. And I'm reminded of the story in your book that Andrew Womack shares with the scripture, whatever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14 23. Can you talk about that? You know, I was just watching a news program yesterday, and what I came away with is that the, this, these individuals, this group of individuals, were operating in willful ignorance. They were ignorant by choice, and they chose, they continue to choose to remain ignorant to the facts and the truth. As such, without them realizing it, they are actually partnering with the enemy of God. The Bible is very clear that willful ignorance is sin, so the passage that Andrew Womack quoted about anything that's not done in faith is sin is right from the mouth of God, and it couldn't be more true. I was particularly drawn to uh, what you had to share about him in your book because he had a calling, has a calling from God, told everyone about it, was summarily rejected by everyone because of it, mm -hmm. and then he shrunk back and he thought, okay, maybe I'm off, and he was miserable when mm -hmm. he did that. So he finally did fulfill his calling and go for it no matter what anyone else said. He chose to walk in faith because had he not, he would really have been walking in sin. Is that your view? Absolutely. Disobedience. And there is a period of time where it's, God's been referred to as a hound dog. There's a period of time where God will chase after us, even though he's already done everything he needs to with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But... God loves us so much that he will chase after us. But if we continue to resist him, the scriptures are also very clear. There will come a time that God will give us over to our own desires of our heart. And he'll let us experience that until and if we call out for his help, much like I did that night that I told you about early on in our conversation today, wanting God to take over my life to make something good of it because I had already proven that on my own I can't. Pamela, I want to read a quote from one of the endorsers of your book, Phil Cook, who's a Ph.D., a filmmaker, media consultant, and author of The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility. 
and how we get it back. And I quote, speaking of your book, quote, this book is a roadmap for the reality of our culture today, but it's not just research about our dilemma. It outlines the strategy for a comeback. If you're a coward, this message isn't for you. But if you're unafraid to confront the truth of our world and the challenge of transforming it, then this book is for you. Pamela, question. What is the one transformational thing in your own life that changed everything for you, albeit your salvation in Jesus Christ? One thing again. You like these one thing questions. Not one <laughs> I don't even have a favorite spot. color. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, there's been many things in my life that have changed me, uh, transformed me. Um, probably early on, uh, I was only a, a believer for five years, and I was, as I shared, so hungry to, to find God, and I found God, and I studied the Bible. I went to Bible school or Bible study classes. I went to church. I listened to Christian talk radio all day long. I just filled myself, immersed myself with all the word I could get. And within the five years, then I was looking to attend a community Bible study class in a new community where we had moved, and there was not one. So I contacted the organization to find out how to start one. And I learned, and, and it had, being an entrepreneur and a business owner, I started several companies. Um, I thought I could certainly help start a class. When I got it just barely off the ground, the Lord then made it clear that he didn't want me to only start it. He wanted me to teach it. And you know, Jensine, that when we have to study to teach something, we've got to study a whole lot more content than what we actually present. So I was the benefactor. I was the supreme benefactor of being the teacher of that class, being able to be in the Word of God and really see how it answers every life question how God has a solution to everything we could encounter, to get to know God more personally through his word. This has been a supreme game changer in my life. If we didn't have the written word of God, imagine the kind of chaos we would have to understand our own faith. Amen and amen. Last uh, question quickly. We have about a minute. What, in your view, are the hallmarks of a healthy church? Um, that would be a church that really does emulate Jesus, the love of Christ, the acceptance of Christ, the, a place that's a hospital, a place that has a culture where every person from every walk of life is indeed welcomed. In fact, I talk about in my book the importance for churches today to do an internal cultural audit and really find out if they have people in place with the right heart, the right attitude to uh, not only receive people who come through the harvest, but to disciple these individuals and truly replicate things as Christ intended us to do. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Pamela Christian, founder of Pamela Christian Ministries, host of Faith to Live by TV, internationally recognized speaker, teacher, apologist, and award-winning author, her latest, Prepare for the Harvest, God's Challenged to the Church Today. You can learn more about Pamela's work, ministry, and mission by visiting PamelaChristianMinistries.com and get her book, Invite Her to Speak. You will be blessed, informed, and given hope that you did. Pamela, what a joy to have you share for testimony where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope 
is given and where we truly do overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Revelation 12, 11. Your latest great read, Prepare for the Harvest, is a wake-up call for the slumbering, backslidden, and probably most often ill-equipped and disempowered church, as well as seasoned ministry, both lay and behind four walls, but in the end, a church that lost souls are looking to, and God's people prepared when they do. Your book, Prepare for the Harvest, is one such tool to help us all, and powerfully so. We thank you, and God bless you. Thank you so much for the work that you do, Jensene. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensene Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenebard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D dot com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.